You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today's speaker is Pastor Caleb Wilkinson. Well, good morning, Grace Church. It's good to be with you, whether you're here in the room or online. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Caleb, and I'm one of the pastors here at the church. And I am just grateful that we can be together, and I'm eager to open up God's Word with you. So what we're going to do, we're just going to jump right in to Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13. And we're going to be finishing our study on the Lord's Prayer this morning. So far, we've seen that this is our family prayer. We pray it together in the plural, to God, our loving Heavenly Father. And in this prayer, Jesus gives an outline, gives us an outline that covers every single need, every angle of our shared family needs. It has six petitions total. And in the first three, it focuses us in on God. Since he's the center of the universe and we're not, it gives us a vision for who God is. Since he's the center of the universe, the highest desire of our hearts is for his glory to be seen and celebrated. For his reign to be embraced and expanded. And for his will to be trusted and obeyed. So the first half is all about God and him being made much of. And out of these desires flow a comprehensive expression of our needs. Okay, we're not God. We're needy. When introducing this prayer, Jesus tells us that the Father knows what we need before we even ask. God's our Father. He delights to meet all of our needs. What do we need? We need his provision. Ultimately, Everything that's essential for life is from him. So we go to him for our daily bread. Next, we need his forgiveness. We heard about this last week. Since he's the judge whom we owe all debt to, we need his pardon. We need his forgiveness. And in this last petition that we'll look at, we'll see that we need his protection. He alone can deliver us from evil. Okay, when we pray to these six petitions, there's nothing further we need to pray for. A lot of us grew up learning to end the Lord's Prayer like this. And yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. That's actually the way I pray it. And it's the way I teach my children to pray it. It's appropriate. It's biblically fitting. It's a beautiful way to end the prayer. But it's not in the original manuscript. So I'm going to not touch it today. And more than that, I think this prayer is really complete without it. With this final petition, this prayer covers every single angle of our need. And so what we're going to do is we're going to read the prayer in its entirety, and then we'll focus in on what the last petition means. So we're going to be in Matthew 6, starting in verse 9. This is the Lord's Prayer. This is God's Word. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray. Well, Father, we 
thank you for the gift of prayer. We thank you that you are the fellowship in God. You delight to fellowship with us. That's amazing. We're grateful for prayer. And Lord, we're thankful to you for this prayer, that you guide our words. We, we're, we're like infants, Lord. We don't know how to, how to talk, how to, how to say things, how to express ourselves. And you give us these words to help us enjoy you, to, to fellowship with you. We, we're thankful. We thank you that you teach us to pray, Lord. And that's what we ask now. We, we ask that you teach us to pray so we can enjoy awe and intimacy with you. Father, we know that this prayer ultimately says we need you. We need you always. So we ask that you'd come now and show us what this last part means so that we can pray it as you intended. Teach us, Lord. Humble our hearts. Keep us alert. Keep us looking at your word. Help us marvel at it. Help us see you in it and glorify you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, put real simply, I think this last petition declares we need the Father's protection. We need the Father's protection. And in order to understand our need, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the three characters involved and their three roles. The Father tests, Satan, the devil, tempts, and we, God's children, trust. Okay, God tests, the devil tempts, and we trust. So first, God tests. One of the most natural questions to ask when reading this verse is, does God lead us into temptation? After all, James says, let no one, when he is tempt, no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So why then do we need to ask him for this? Aren't we just asking him to do something that he's already promised he won't do? And it's kind of like one of those yes and no's. Uh, the word used here for temptation is a little tricky. It could mean testing or it could mean temptation. The word is used, it's the same word for both. We, call, we can tell it means temptation in the negative sense here when we see that verse 13 is really one petition. It's one request, not two. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil is one request. The first half is the positive part, or the first half is actually the negative part. Don't do this. And the second half is the positive part. Do this. So don't lead us into temptation, but do deliver us from evil. Okay. Evil and temptation, they're parallels and it's one request. So I think this petition is most clearly seen in the positive sense. Do this, deliver us from evil. Okay. That's what we're asking. We're saying we need your protection, but still to understand this fully, we need the first part. The first part's really helpful for us to see that he does indeed lead us everywhere we go. He leads us, the Father leads us every moment. Of course, that's very different from saying that we follow him every moment. But he leads us every moment. The Bible has an exhaustive view of God's control. It's absolute. Okay, the biblical word we use for his complete control is sovereignty. God is sovereign. He's completely in control. Well then, how do we understand his sovereign leadership with evil enticements beside it? If he leads us all the time, and if we're tempted 
Anytime, doesn't that mean that he leads us into temptation sometimes? Not exactly. What we need to do is we need to distinguish tests and temptations. And John Piper is very helpful when he says this. He says, all our experiences are tests from God and temptations from Satan. Okay, All of our experiences are tests from God and temptations from Satan, from the devil. Now, we have two primary different types of experiences, right? We have pleasure and we have pain. In all of our experiences, pleasure and pain, God tests and the devil simultaneously tempts. Okay, I'll explain. Let's look at pleasure first. All of our pleasures are tests from God. He leads us to every sweet experience that we may thank him and enjoy him and his presence and his, and his faithfulness in them. And so that we love him and value him more than, than the thing he's giving us. Okay. Every pleasure is a test from the father, but at the same time, every good thing the Lord leads us to Satan entices us to make it an ultimate thing, to, to love this thing most, to, to think we have everything we need with this gift and to forget God. To forget him. We don't need him because we got his stuff. Okay, so at the same time, every pleasure is a temptation from Satan. All our pleasurable experiences, all of our pleasant experiences are tests from God and they're temptations from the devil. Okay, and the same is true uh, with all of our painful experiences or what we sometimes call trials. Our pain and our grief are not accidental. They're not neglectful. God leads us to each one of them. And he says, will you trust me? Will you trust my goodness and my wisdom in this bitter moment? Will you love me for me alone? When you have nothing else? Okay, every bitter experience is a test from the father. But because because the father tests. But in each bitter experience, Satan entices us to curse and reject God, to disbelieve him and to run elsewhere for help. John Calvin wrote that temptations are from the right and from the left. From the right comes riches, power, and honor, which tempts us into thinking we don't need God. And from the left comes poverty, disgrace, contempt, and affliction, which tempts us to despair and to lose all hope, and to become angrily estranged from God. So so from both sides, from pleasant experiences and from unpleasant experiences, Satan tempts us. Test and temptations, they're distinct, but they're never separate. God tests and the devil tempts every moment. Okay, understanding this helps us better understand the protection we're requesting. Okay, we're not asking God to eliminate all temptation. Asking God to remove us from all enticing circumstances is to ask God to remove us from all circumstances. Jesus isn't telling us in this prayer that we need some sort of impenetrable protective bubble or for him to take us off to a monastery somewhere where there's no temptation to sin, as if that were even possible. Uh, It's not. Uh, this is a prayer for God to take, is not a prayer for God to take tempting circumstances away and to keep us comfortable. It's a request for God not to give us any test 
He won't also help us pass. Okay, it's a request for God not to give us, not to lead us into any test that he won't also help us pass. It's asking him only to give us tests in which he will hold us fast and keep us loving him most. It's a request to keep our faith and our worship from failing no matter what. Okay, we're asking him to protect us from Satan getting his way and killing our worship, killing our faith. Piper paraphrases this petition like this. In all of your tests, which you do indeed lead us, don't let them ensnare us as Satan's destructive temptation, but rather deliver us from evil or the evil one. In every test, deliver us from letting it become a destructive, faith-destroying temptation. So do you get this lead us not into temptation request better? It's, it, it, it's a little clearer, I hope. But, but if you're still with me, another question comes, of course, and that's this. Why does the loving father test us? And the Bible isn't silent here. There, there's a host of reasons, but among the top two, our tests remind us of who we are and they remind us of who God is. Okay, by nature, we're identity amnesiacs. We forget who we are. We forget that we're weak, defenseless sheep and we think we're strong superheroes. We, we forget that we're sinners and we think we're good at heart. We forget that we're dependent children and we think that we're uh, sensible and self-sufficient. And he tests us to remind us who we are. They, 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 they crush self-reliance and self-righteousness. They train us to trust and rely on him. That they, they convince us that without him, we can do nothing. Okay, they're a mirror to us to see ourselves clearly. And he tests us to remind us of who he is. Okay, he's our strong shepherd. He's our good savior. He's our present father. Okay, we're, our God, we're God amnesiacs too. We forget him. And often through discomfort, he lovingly wakes us up to reveal how precious he is, to remind us that Jesus plus nothing else equals everything, okay? Tests result in God's glory being seen and savored more deeply. They're, they're loving because this is the best gift he can possibly give us. Remember, this petition for protection isn't prayed in isolation. It's prayed with the first three petitions. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Okay, we don't stop praying these for these when we pray for protection. We pray for them all together. Protecting us from discomfort while not answering the prayer, hallowed be your name, is not loving because the best thing God can give us is himself, not comfort. And so he reminds us of these things. He tests us. They're, they're training reminders. But we can also look at them as platforms for praise, to do what we were made to do. They're, they're moments to make much of God, okay? When I was younger, I had hoop dreams. So I wanted to play in the NBA, and so I'd be, regularly be playing basketball in my backyard. And when I did, I would... Uh, sort of simulate an epic comeback or a buzzer beater for the win. And you can still do it even as an adult. It, it's fun. Uh, all you need is a ball in your imagination and sort of like an imaginary commentator in your head. You know, they're down by one, uh, seven seconds left. They pass the ball to Wilkinson. <laughs> Five, four, he crosses over. He steps back three, two, he shoots. The buzzer goes, swish, they win. They win. Okay, what was I doing there regularly? Uh, I was setting up opportunities to come through in the clutch, to make 
uh, to come through the clutch and with an imaginary crowd, of course. But uh, we, we like pretending to have these special moments, usually to make much of ourselves, because we think that, that when we're at the center, that's when we're going to be most happy. But, uh, but the Father gives us opportunities in everyday, real, ordinary life to do what we were really made for, worship. His tests are real moments in time to come through in the clutch and make much of him. Okay, this was God's purpose in leading Job into such misery. Satan accuses Job of embracing the prosperity gospel. Basically, Job just loves you because you give him a bunch of good stuff. So what God does is he tests him. He allows Job to go from extravagant riches to destitution in one day. And one day, Job loses all his stuff. What's God doing there? He's testing. He's testing. And ultimately, though very painfully, God proves to Job and to the watching world, including us, that Job worships God for no other reason than God is worthy of worship. The test serves as sort of a scenic lookout point for the view that we're made for, the the view that makes us really happy, okay? God's intrinsic beauty and worth. Of course, this isn't a popular idea, and I I get it. A, A good and Sovereign God allowing pain and suffering aren't easily reconciled. Maybe you're sitting in one of these seats or at home online, and this is the reason why you're stiff-arming him, why you're not embracing him. Um, It's difficult, but it is what the Bible teaches. It's difficult, but it's easier to grasp when we see that the purpose of our existence isn't for our comfort, but for our worship. The purpose of our existence isn't for our comfort, but for our worship. And this, if this was not always difficult, it's really difficult in our modern Western world we live in that's packed with comfort. But getting this right changes the way you look at every backache, every traffic jam, every illness or injury, every sharp word, every trip to the car repair shop, every, not tonight, honey, Every medical bill, every failing paper or exam for you or your child, and, and every unreciprocated act of friendship, every betrayal. Okay, the Father leads us to each of these unpleasant experiences as moments to be who we were made to be and make much of him. Okay, his, his tests aren't for our comfort. They're for our worship. Now, maybe you're going through one of these pains and you're feeling enticed, enticed to shake your fist at God in anger, to curse him, to, to run away, to stop hoping in his goodness and wisdom. Listen, Satan wants to destroy your faith. He wants to kill your worship. Pain is a temptation, but it's also a test. It's a moment to see and trust your father. Okay, this prayer is here to aid you. Over and over, it's here to aid you, to help you say, help me trust your goodness and wisdom in this very moment, in this very detail. Don't let my faith be destroyed. Help me see that you're enough. We need your protection. And if that's you, you're not alone. We, there's a reason we pray this all together. In every painful experience, we're all tempted. So, 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 So we pray this. That's why we pray it together. We're all tempted by evil. So now what I want to do is let's turn our attention to the evil we need protection from. 
Most modern translations translate this word evil in our text as the evil one, the devil. And I think that's appropriate. Peter tells uh, the church in 1 Peter, he says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Okay, evil's personal. It's got a face. Satan is behind it all, and he's relentless, okay? So, so it's vital we address him in order to understand this petition. Mostly we need to see that the devil tempts, okay? In every experience, the devil tempts. And his temptations are so prevalent that one writer says this, that you, we could call the Bible, the entire Bible, the book of temptations, Okay, it began with Adam and Eve in the garden. They were in the garden with God, fellowshipping with God, walking with God. There was nothing wrong. There was no mourning, crying, or pain, or death. And even in paradise, Satan is tempting. He, he, he lures them away and says, he lures their hearts away to love the creation more than the God that gave it to them. More than God's glory. They, they fall in love with creation. They buy the lie. And Israel does the same thing. This is what the story's about. After God delivers them from slavery, they grumble. They'd rather have meat in Egypt than to rely on God in the wilderness. And then when he does bring them into the land, they desire a tactile sort of uh, prosperity and protection instead of him. So they run to other gods for fertility and rain and abundant harvest. They forge alliances with other nations for safety. They, they beg for a king so that they can be like all the other nations. They, they forget God over and over again. In every experience, Satan is behind the scenes, luring people towards sin, luring them to forget God. Okay, history is all about weak sinners falling into this temptation. Okay, the devil tempts. Let's discuss a few ways that he does this. First, he deceives. Jesus says, when Satan lies, he speaks out his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Okay, he tempts us by lying to us about God and everything else. That's what he did in the garden. He lied to Adam and Eve. He said, God, did God really say that? You won't surely die. Go ahead. You'll be okay. Okay, he lies to us every time he motivates us by shame or by fear, or he deceitfully accuses and condemns. When he says things like, if you tell the truth, they'll think less of you. When they know you, they won't love you. Or God won't accept you after you've done that. There's no mercy or coming back from that sin. Okay, he deceives. And next, what he does is he drives us away from prayer. Like a hunting lion, he, he schemes to cut us off from our protection. He, he desires prayerlessness. He hates this prayer we're studying right now. He desires prayerlessness. And finally, he hides John Newton says he's often most powerful and prevalent when he's least perceived, okay? He hides. His hiding tactic is probably why one of his favorite flavors of temptation is the temptation of idolatry. Idolatry isn't mainly about bowing down to some golden statue or something. The New City Catechism describes idolatry as trusting in created things rather than the creator for our hope and happiness, significance, and security, okay? Trusting in created things rather than the creator for our hope and happiness, significance and security. And Satan is regularly getting us to do this, to find our hope and happiness outside of God. Okay, so temptation isn't just about doing bad things. It's turning good things into ultimate things. And idolatry is so dangerous because it latches onto the backs 
of all of God's gifts, like parasites that creep in undetected in our food and our drink. They, they, they hide. Potential idolatry lurks inside all good things. And Satan incrementally taps at the potential, pressing them to become more and more prominent until they become ultimate, until we forget God, at least functionally. Okay, Satan's more powerful than us, but still he rather high. He, he does work and he can work like cocaine explicitly, but he prefers to work like caffeine. Okay, when we start drinking coffee, we don't do it to rebel or to get this crazy high. We do it because we want to be social or because we procrastinated and we, we need to pull an all-nighter or something. But slowly, slowly, incrementally, we start needing it more and more. We start getting headaches when we miss a coffee. And, and we start drinking it more and more and water, which we really need less and less. Okay, Satan's like caffeine. He hides. Well, look around. Good gifts abound. A, a couple that come to mind in our community are affluence and our careers. Okay, God gives these to us. He wants them to enjoy him in them and thank him for them. But Satan hides hides potential idolatry in these gifts. Okay, all of a sudden they become too important to us. We find ourselves working excessively and we're exhausted. We become ruthless to protect our stuff or to get promoted. Our relationships in our family and with our friends, they just keep getting thinner and thinner and our hearts keep getting colder and colder towards God. We, We rather, we get more excited about the little castles we're working on than about the king of the universe who's giving us all these good gifts. Okay, and we feel stuck. We feel ensnared. We feel trapped. Friends, oh, how do we need, oh, how we need this prayer in North Dallas. We need this prayer in North Dallas. We need him to to deliver us from this subtle and deadly temptation. We need our Father's protection because Satan He's crafty. He deceives. He hides. He tempts. And we need his protection because he's the one that administers the test. He leads us to every test. But where does that leave us? What, what are we to do? Well, simply put, we trust. This is the final point today, and it's the whole point of the whole prayer we've been studying. The weaknesses we see in the people of the Bible are the very weaknesses we should recognize in ourselves. Okay? We're vulnerable to temptation practically all the time. There's no person or group of people who's ever been able to risk temptation in their own strength. Not the small group leader, not the pastor, not the school teacher or politician, not the Republican, not the Democrat, not the na- our nation or our church, not the atheist family or the family sitting around the table worshiping. Okay, there's never been a person able to resist temptation. It's too powerful for us to handle on our own. It's too powerful for us Christians to handle. Not only is Satan way stronger than us, but his temptations are so tempting because he offers our hearts exactly what our hearts already want. We, we have regenerated hearts, but they're not completely restored yet. We sin because we still love sin. When Satan tempts us, he's like a, a bullfighter waving the red flag. And we run to it because we can't resist. We, we run to it because we want to run to it. Okay? We can't protect ourselves from the evil one because our hearts are filled with evil desires. And he pulls it like magnets. We can't resist. So what do we do? Well, we pray to our Father. We plead and trust 
him as our only hope. We pray, we need your protection, Father, from the evil one, and we need your protection from ourselves. We pray, deliver us because we need a deliverer. Now, I want to make this clear. We have an active role here. The Bible calls us to fight temptation with all our minds. But the main way we fight is by worshiping our way out of temptation. It's by trusting. Like Barbie dolls, we're not meant to stand on our own. Okay, think think about Barbies with me for a moment. I know, I know, Barbies. But, but, But Barbie, she's beautiful. She's multi-talented. She's perfect beyond reality or possibility. She's chiseled to attractive proportions and gets to pursue all kinds of exciting careers like uh, being an astronaut or being a, uh, a doctor or a zookeeper. And, and all while she has time to uh, go hiking or scuba diving with Ken on the weekends, okay? She's got it all. But she's got one fatal flaw. Her deformed feet. (laughs) She can't stand up on her own. She must be held up or propped up at all times. And her makers at Mattel designed her with with this specific weakness to accomplish their purposes. Now, what those are, I don't know. I don't know if it's so that the children will keep playing with the dolls more or so that us parents have to spend more money on accessories like the car she can sit in or the excessive high heels that actually serve as props to hold her up. I guess there's no such thing as Barbie slippers. Uh, I I don't know about uh, the the complete answer. You can find out more uh, in Barb Duguid's book, Extravagant Grace, where I found that analogy from. But here's the deal. Like Barbie, God left us weak and needy after our conversion. He doesn't want us to be overcome. He doesn't want us to sin, but there's something he values even more, our loving dependence and our trust. That's why he left us weak. That's what his tests are all about, us learning to trust him. That's what this prayer is all about, depending on him alone for our protection. Are you trying to be discontentment with your own strategies? Are you trying to resist sexual temptation in your own strength? Are you trying to overcome your cursing tongue or your bitter heart or your uncharitable thoughts and impatience with your own willpower? If so, friend, listen, you're missing the point. By trying to resist temptation, you're giving into it. We can't escape from sin through our self-sufficiency because our self-sufficiency is sin. That's what Satan wants. That's what the the first sin was all about. Autonomy. That's what he told him. He says, you don't need God to lead you or protect you. Assert your autonomy. Assert your autonomy. That's what Satan wants, even if it sounds very religious. At the heart of every temptation, Satan whispers, you don't need God to be happy or to lead you. You can lead and protect yourself. Friends, Jesus gave us this prayer as an antidote to all temptation because praying it itself is turning from self-sufficiency. It in itself kills autonomy. First, remember, we pray this in the plural. Okay, to rightly pray this, we need to be praying it in believing community. And when we do, we're worshiping. When we're saying we need your protection, we're trusting. We're worshiping. And here's the thing. As the band comes up, here's the thing. We have incredible reasons 
to fully trust he will protect us. We're assured because Jesus himself prays this petition with us and for us. Jesus doesn't just teach us to pray this prayer. He prays it. Remember, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. He knows the depth of all our temptations. But unlike, unlike us, Jesus resisted by looking to the Father for protection. He prayed this himself. And after he resisted, while sweating blood in Gethsemane on the way to the cross, he prayed for us. Father, protect them from the evil one. Father, protect them from the evil one. He prayed this way for Peter. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. Now, Peter would forget God. He would deny Jesus three times that same night, but God would not forget Peter because Jesus had prayed for him. His faith would endure. So when we pray, we pray with Jesus, who even prayed this for himself on the cross. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Basically, deliver me out of this roaring lion's claws and keep me in your hands. And how did the Father answer? By raising him from the dead. So right now, Jesus stands risen by the Father, praying this for us. And the Father answers his perfect son's prayers. The very reason Jesus came and was tempted in the wilderness in all his life and poured out all his blood was so that the Father would answer this prayer. He's praying right now for us, for our protection. So when we pray, Father, we need your protection, let's do so with confidence. He'll answer, not mainly because we pray for it, but because Jesus prays it for us. We can pray for our Father's protection with confidence because Jesus prays for it for us. And he won't stop praying this petition for the Father. He doesn't sleep nor somber. He's praying it right now. He will hold us fast now and always until we're safe with him. Let's respond to him in song. Let's sing, he will hold us fast. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church. To receive future messages, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or listen online by visiting our website at gracechurchfrisco.org. 